Sometimes it's hard to get to the destination that you're heading on. Um, we're in uh, week three of this series called Trailblazers um, because uh, essentially in the path of life, we are just talking about how do you get to where you're going the most um, effective way, um, ideally the best way um, possible. And uh, to measure that and to know you're on the right path and know you're heading in the right direction. Last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, sorry, we're in week three. I started in week two. Caitlin was here last week. I got to get myself straight. Um, two weeks ago, we started with this question uh, for the series. How do you know you're on the right path in life? How do you know, like you know for sure with certainty that you are on the right path in life? Um, because you go through life, it's not that easy to stay on track. And we measure that really differently, a, a lot of us. Um, for some of us, we measure how we are going through life, and if we're going through life the right way uh, by who our friends are, if we have the right job, if we right, make the right investments, if we make the right decisions, if we have the right faith. Those are just some examples that we measure um, how we do that. And, and then we know, you know you're on the right path because for a lot of us, we measure it by because we're happy, that's a reasonable measure uh, because it feels good, right? It's a season of life where you feel really good. So therefore, you must be on the right path, right? Are you making a lot of money or your investments are doing really good? Then obviously, you're on the right path. And, and let's be honest, if you just take a second to think about it, that's kind of somewhat more or less how you measure if you're on the right path. Um, path in life. And therefore, the contrary is true as well. If you're not happy, if you're not feeling good, if you're not making money, then you obviously are on the right path, I think. Because if you think about it, there's a lot of holes to that thought process, you know, because there's obviously going to be seasons where you're not happy, but you could be on the right path if you think about it. Um, a great example of this is being a pastor. You know, if you think about the job of a pastor, um, I'm just speaking from experience, you know, think about um, jobs that, what is the chance that there are other jobs that could be less stressful and make you happier? Probably a couple, you know. Are there other jobs out there that you could do that could make you more money than being a pastor? Prob probably all of them. Thank you. That was, thank you. <laughs> Made me feel real good about the right path in my life. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so then logically, you know, if we measure the, our lives by that, then uh, by, you know, money or happiness or whatever, less stress, um, then uh, finding another job or not being a pastor would be a, a better decision, right? Well, yet some people cho choose, excuse me, to be pastors um, because really the measure of what's right or the right path in our life can look very different. And so in this series, uh, we have been kind of offering you some different ways to measure success or measure if you're on the right path, if you're going the right direction. So week one, um, what I brought up was um, the people around you, that measuring your life by the people around you is a great indicator of whether or not you are on the right path. And so this, the saying we gave you uh, two weeks ago was, show me your people and I'll show you your path. Because friends and relationships um, are a fantastic uh, indicator of the direction and quality of your life. Um, and you know that, especially if your parents or you ever poured into somebody or taken care of anybody or you've ever taught a class or something, you know, you can kind of tell who the people hang out with and you can generally 
not always, but with some degree of certainty, determine the direction or the quality that they're going to have in that class or that environment or in their lives based on how they um, or the people that are around them. Uh, and we learned that in the uh, Bible story that we looked at uh, for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to look at today again, which is the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus invited some people into his life, or they invited Jesus into their lives, really. And they had a 180-degree change in their life. They literally were going one direction, and they turned around and went the other direction. Not because they would have done that of their own accord, but because of who was in their life. And then Caitlin started a conversation last week, had a little panel with her small group, which was fantastic, um, about how um, God, or how the two gentlemen on the road to Emmaus invited Jesus in and they opened up. And G, um, her point last week was Jesus will show up when you open up. Jesus will show up when you open up with those other people. Um, because our tendency is to only, you know, let people so far into our life and then we have a really hard stop, right? We don't want people to know anything more about us and to be in a regular and intentional relationship in that way. And therefore, it's going to make it harder for us to have a path in our life that's necessarily one that we can look back on, I think, sometimes and be very proud of. Um, and so anyways, uh, those, those guys invited Jesus into their life and their lives changed dramatically, not because necessarily they're happier, not because they chose the path of least resistance, because they definitely didn't, not because they had a lot of money or fame, um, but their path was way better because of who they met and who they invited into their lives. Today, as we wrap up this series, the last thing we're going to be um, talking about is a one final measure um, that I really, really like for um, determining the path that you're on, and if it's the quote-unquote right path, or if it's a good path. And I really like this measure um, because I think it's a, it's a measure that's really hard for us to kind of wiggle our way out of, um, because we are really talented. I don't know about you, I'm just speaking for myself here, can be very talented at creating excuses in our lives and justifying our behavior and getting ourselves out of like um, emotional or relational um, challenges. And, uh, and so uh, this measure I think is really good because it's hard to, you know, uh, take it with a grain of salt. It's hard to look at it any other way than what it is. And to begin setting you up for this one thing, um, this one measure of whether or not we're on the right path in life, whether we're blazing a trail in life or not, is um, to begin with this phrase. And I'm guessing it's a phrase that you've heard or your parents have told you at some point. Hopefully somebody has told you at some point in your life. And it's this right here. Leave it better, leave it, leave it better than you found it. Ever heard that? Okay. Like if you borrow an outfit from someone what do you do before you return it? Wash it. Okay, the, this half of the room, I'm not so sure on. This half is going to wash it. This half, I'm not so sure. We'll give you another one, okay? If you borrow a car, do you, what do you do before you return it? Again, this half of the room, I trust. This half, I'm concerned about. Okay, hopefully online, you're going to type in there that you're, you're going to gas up their car. Yes. Um, if you borrow someone's headphones or AirPods, what should you do before you return them? Just don't even do it because it's disgusting. Don't do that. Just don't do it, okay? <laughs> like, yes, but ideally you clean them, right? Uh, before and after use, okay? Or, or just don't do it in general. Um, but if you don't do that, right? If you don't put fuel in the car, if you uh, don't return it better than you found it, it's considered rude, yes. 
Okay, thank you. Um, yes, it's considered rude. <laughs> so, got a question um, for you then, okay? And this is kind of the, the gut check, the reality check for us, all right? If this is our ideal, leave it better than you found it, why don't we treat people the same way? Ever think about that? Why don't we take the same approach with other people? Why don't we treat people with the same ideal of leaving them better than we found them? If you look back at the people in your past and maybe someone in your present, do you or are you leaving them better than you found them? Now, I'm not saying, and I just want to clarify this too, I'm not just saying because you helped them out, right? Um, you know, they had a plumbing issue and you went over and fixed their plumbing problem, okay? Um, you know, they had a, something break and you fixed it, that kind of thing. Because those things can be hired out, right? You can get somebody else to come and fix that. So that's not like super um, transformative in someone's life. That doesn't require much relationship. Um, it doesn't require a lot of um, spiritual or emotional involvement. So I'm not saying, you know, you're just helping out a coworker at work, okay? That's not the kind of relationship we're talking about. We're talking about the relationships that are not replaceable, okay? You just can't go out and find uh, someone else. You can't just call up another friend and they're going to be there, right? I'm talking about the relationships that you trust, that, that the relationships that... Um, you know, the people in your lives, when you can really speak into their lives, those kind of relationships, why don't we treat those relationships quite the same way? Because Jesus did. I mean, Jesus did this all the time, right? You take the two disciples on this road to Emmaus that we've been talking about for the last two weeks, um, Cleopas and this unnamed guy, okay? I don't know why he didn't have a name. I'm sure he had a name. We just don't know what it is. Let's call him Bob. Cleopas and Bob, okay? And, and they had been measuring the direction of their life as this story goes. We've read it a couple of times, so I'm not going to read it again. You can go back and watch it online. Um, but they were in one direction in their life. And the reason they were headed in this direction, i.e. following Jesus at the time, is because Jesus promised um, things that they liked. Jesus promised kind of a bit of a revolution. Jesus promised, um, which he didn't tell them directly. They just insinuated because of how popular he was. They liked the idea of his power. They liked the idea of the things he accomplished. Um, and he was uh, effectively kind of setting himself up to be the new king. And if they're going to sit, if he's going to sit on a throne and he's going to be king, they wanted to be as close to the king, the new king, as possible. And that was the direction of their life. And then he died. And when the Son of God, God in a body, dies, it kind of says he's not probably God. Right? Like, if God, if he says he's God and then he dies, he's probably not God. Yet he was dead. And so in their minds, the whole thing was over. Like, it, it was really cool. It was really interesting. They couldn't explain everything that he did, but ends up he was dead. So now what do you do? And so they leave Jerusalem with all of their expectations and ideals of the path that they were on gone. <clears throat> and they're feeling kind of sad about it. And they left all of those relationships behind them as well. And it wasn't probably in a great place either. Because you think about it, they had been following Jesus and been with these other disciples probably for months, if not maybe even years, following him day after day after day. And then one day, when things go south, they just left the team. They went away. And I'm not sure that that was leaving on the greatest of terms. Like, 
Friday he died, Sunday they're headed in another direction. And they walked away. It was pretty clear that there wasn't the depth of a relationship that's like, hey, I want to hang out with you for a while and process this and be together for a while as we kind of walk through this, at least for a couple extra days. No, it was day one they could get out of there. They were out of there. And then this guy shows up as they're walking on this road. At this point, it's, it's Jesus, spoiler alert, but they don't know that yet. They didn't, they didn't figure that out because in their mind, Jesus is dead and people who are dead stay dead. That's a pretty typical expectation of people. And he's like, hey, why are you sad? What happened? Um, and this is how Luke kind of sets this up. He starts in, um, in his uh, account of Jesus' life. He says, as they talked, so that Cleopas and Bob are um, talking and discussing what had happened, and Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, for what or how they were kept from recognizing him, not exactly sure. That's kind of a sermon for another time. Um, But they didn't get that this was Jesus, and it's totally understandable. I mean, you and I probably wouldn't expect that that was Jesus either. I mean, the last image you have of Jesus is bloody, um, dirty, dead on a cross, and then somebody walking next to you, your brain isn't going, that's probably Jesus. Um, and so um, they, they, uh, Jesus says, hey, you know, why are you guys sad? Because Jesus could tell that they were sad. And, and the guys are like, well, you know, we had this guy, we were following him, he was doing great things, and we thought he was awesome, and then, and then he died. And, G- and, and uh, Jesus is like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, you haven't heard of this? And Jesus is like, no, I've heard of it. I, I was there. Um, and And then he kind of gives them this little lesson. He kind of goes into teacher mode. And you're going to read this. I'm going to read it. And you're going to think to yourself, well, that's a little harsh, Jesus. You're coming off a little strong. Um, But this was Jesus being that thoughtful friend. This is Jesus' moment of saying, hey, I'm not sure you're looking at this quite right. I think you might be um, missing the point here. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. In other words, you're missing the point of what has just occurred and you need to circle back. It's being that good relational friend. He said to them, how foolish. That's where you kind of like, okay, that's a little strong, Jesus. But again, it's, you're not seeing the main point. You're not seeing the big picture. Hey, how foolish are you? or how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did you not, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then he goes on. Um, He says, in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So essentially he gives them a Bible lesson. He like walks them through and says, hey, this is what was supposed to happen. And how many times did I tell you guys? In other words, he's trying to point out that they're heading the wrong direction in their life. They're going the wrong direction. Um, And he's saying, you know, you're heading a direction that's uh, based on a lot of those worldly measures, right? You are looking for, you are seeking um, worldly um, power. You are seeking worldly fame. You are seeking to be associated with the next king. And that didn't work out. And when that didn't work out, you were heading out. When that didn't work out, you headed out. And instead, he's trying to convince them that the reason that they were there, the whole reason that they were following in the first place was because of a relationship. Because God had been trying to do something since Moses in the world, and they were missing the point. Trying to point out they're heading in the wrong 
direction. He's trying to remind them where the trajectory of their life is heading and that the people around them are or going to be around them as they walk away are probably maybe not always the best people for their lives. And instead, maybe in their case, the people behind them that they just left in Jerusalem was the best place for them. So Jesus left them, just disappeared, poof, as soon as they started recognizing who he was. And what did Jesus leave behind? Here's the, really the main point of this, is the type of heart and the type of person that Jesus left behind as interacted with people. This is what the men said about their own hearts after Jesus left. He said, we're not our hearts, they asked. We're not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us. their life because of what Jesus did in their own life. Jesus did something incredible. They did something incredible in other people's lives. And then other people then experienced that and shared that with other people and shared that with other people. And it transformed the entire world. So let me ask you a question. You think about this. You don't raise your hand. Just think about it inside. Jesus, believer or not, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want people in your life that could be like Jesus, that would be like Jesus, where you're walking down a road and you're heading the wrong direction and you think it's the right direction because sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's hard. And you have some people in your life that walk alongside you and say, ooh, hey, did you look at it this way? Did, did you maybe miss something along the road, along the trail that you're heading? and help you to go the right direction, to turn you around, to get you excited, to get your heart burning with truth about the direction that you were on, about the knowledge and the potential of what the future may hold for you, wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I don't know about you, but I could use a few more people like that in my life that, that set you on a trail ablaze with where you're going, feeling free and empowered with where you're going, because God wants you, God wants that for you. That's why he started the church. That's why he said, it is not good for man to be alone because he wanted you all, he wanted us all to be in community with one another, to be one church, many people, but one church. 
that the goal is when you leave his church, the body of Christ, this community of people, you will leave it better than you found it because all of us are gonna leave the church sooner or later. Either we will pass away or we will move to another church, but still we'll be part of the same church. And at that point, are we better than when we found the church? Are we better than when we came into the church? That's the kind of community, the kind of relationships that Jesus wanted for us. And let's be honest, I think that's the kind of community, that's my point, that your heart longs for as well. That kind of community. Not the surface level community, not just, hey, I can find somebody else to sub in, or I can find somebody else to kind of replace that part in my life. But, but those kind of relationships that are like a real loss when they're gone. Not because you just attended somewhere, but because you built relationships with people, with others. I think we should all, Christian or not, just be like Jesus, to be light and hope and life in other people's life, to become like God in our relationship with him, just like his relationship with himself, right? The God is in a relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one. The very beginning God said, I, let's create mankind in our image, plural. Like we're in relationship together. So let me ask you this question. If, if relationship is the goal, if relationship is the thing we're seeking, what is the trail you, what is the trail you leave behind, say, in this area of your life? Because this is ultimately the question. This is ultimately the measure for your life. Because relationships are like breadcrumbs, right? Eventually, they're kind of going to wrap up or they're going to wind down and they're not going to be as intense and as meaningful as they once were. That's going to happen with all of us, just like our relationship with the church. And what is the church? It's just a community of people. It's going to be the same thing. Sooner or later, you will move on. Are the relationships, the breadcrumbs that you're leaving behind, or what do those relationships or what do those breadcrumbs look like? What were your relationships with those breadcrumbs? What story do they tell? Do they tell a story um, of problem avoidance? You know, that there were problems, but you avoided those. Um, you had a tendency or they had a tendency of placing blame on each other or deflecting or gossiping instead of solving the problem. Do, were they the kind of relationships you left behind? Were the kind of relationships that you know, complained about things and complained about the world? Or did they participate in finding a solution? You know, when the going got tough, did they get going? Or did they stand by each other? Or the kind of relationships that you are leaving behind in your life, the breadcrumbs as you walk through life, are they relationships that are filled with the fruit of God's spirit? Are they relationships that are noted with patience? You know, where people look at you and they're just like, wow, they are just incredibly patient people. They're just amazing. They're so calm. They're so focused. And they just, boy, they give me a lot of patience. More patience than I even give myself. Are the kind of relationships that you leave behind, are they the kind of relationships that would look at you and say, wow, that person is just filled with the fullness of truth and grace like Jesus was? That they can both be fully truth-telling, hey, those socks really don't work with your outfit, but I'm going to go out and get you a pair that do. Grace. Fully truth and fully grace. It's a little deeper than that, but you get my point, I hope. 
Are they full of kindness, right? The fruit of God's spirit, kindness. That when people think of you, they're just like, wow, those people are just, they're just kind. They go out of their way. Or they're generous. They just go out of their way and give generously. Christians, especially. This is just for the Christians in the room. Christians. Okay. What does the trail that you leave behind say about you? How many new disciples of Jesus follow you? Not follow you literally, but follow behind you are the breadcrumbs of your life, the result of your life. Because that's Jesus's really big statement to his disciples. Like the last time his disciples see Jesus, Cleopas and the other Bob and the other disciples see Jesus, he says to them, hey, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the question that I think as Christians we have to ask ourselves is, okay, well, how many Christians have we helped make? that are worshiping Jesus today, baptized today because of our influence. I guarantee you, when you get to the end of your life, you're gonna look back and those are gonna be the things that fill your spirit, that encourage you to say, you know what? There are people today that are so kind and loving and generous because of the relationship I had with them more than anything else. What do you think about in the final hours of your life? You think about people. Not about the money, not about the power, not about the fame, because fame is gone at that point. Everybody's name eventually will disappear. But what are the relationships you leave behind? And for me, in my mind, That's what blazing a trail looks like. That's what a trailblazer ultimately looks like. Not just you made up a great invention or you came up with a cool idea, but you impacted people in a way that was meaningful and deep. And those are the impacts that will live on generation after generation after generation. And this is why we talk a lot about small groups. And we launch them twice a year, not just for fun, not just because that's what other churches do, um, but because they are an amazing platform for you to intentionally blaze a trail and leave a breadcrumb path behind you of lives that were impacted for the better. Because Jesus commanded us to love each other, love God, and it's all relational. And when you get in a relationship with one another and you commit to that time together and you get to know each other and you're vulnerable with each other, which then builds trust, you have an opportunity to make an impact and then be impacted by others. Our tendency is to keep it intellectual. Our tendency over the generations of the church, especially around the Bible, is we create Bible studies. And I know some of you are gonna take away from this that Taylor doesn't like Bible studies. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we tend to keep it intellectual. And if all we do when we get together is just find some cool little tidbits and nuggets of information in here that are fascinating and interesting, um, and I know some of us can grow through that, and that's totally okay, but um, sometimes we tend to keep it intellectual, and we tend not to then take what's in here and apply it relationally to one another. Because that's all this book is. It's a giant story of relationship between God and humankind. And Jesus and God through Jesus and humankind. And to take that and to learn how to be in community together. Jesus came to earth not to die for the Bible. He came to die 
for you because he loves you and you hear about it in this story. And that's why you see, and then the post-Jesus part of the Bible, the last little bit of the Bible, it talks a lot about spending time and building relationships and community with one another. And it spends a lot of time about fixing issues within the community. Paul's, half of Paul's letters are like, hey guys, here's what you need to be doing better in your relationships with others. And one of those, the author of Hebrews, so we, and we don't know who, who that was, but they made that a point. They kind of made a little jab to our tendency not to do this. They said, hey, let us consider how we can encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as is the habit of some people. Uh Uh-oh, called them out, some people. You know what I mean? Like probably the people who got this letter knew who those some people were. You know, it was a little church gossip, okay? Like, hey, we need to be seeking out how we can encourage one another in love and good deeds. And how are we gonna do it? By not abandoning meeting together as is the habit of some people, but instead encouraging one another. And all the more as I see the day drawing near to be in relationship with one another. Well over like two-thirds of the people who get baptized here um, were in a small group first. And I don't know if that's entirely a causality, right? You're in a group and then that causes you to be baptized. But I think what it does is it allows you, as Shelby shared in her story a number of weeks ago in her baptism story, she said, you know, it really wasn't until I got a community of people whom I loved and they loved me and 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 we got to talk about Jesus and all that stuff that I felt like, hey, you know what? My next step is baptism because of the relationship I was in. Think about it this way. Imagine if you were in a small group for one to two years. Because one of our small group versions, and there's an explanation of the different versions of small groups. So one of the versions of our small groups, um, the growth group version, meets for one year. And, and I'll be honest with you. This is not like a got you. This is just something that we plan ahead for. A lot of those groups we found want to keep going after that. And so we've actually designed curriculum for growth groups for two whole years because that's what we found works. And we didn't have that at the beginning. We haven't had that for a long time, but this year we're starting that. And I just want you to think about if you spent a time once a week with a group of other people, right? Eight, maybe 10 people for one year to two years. And in that time, you sought out a better understanding of the people around you and the God above you, what do you think will be the outcome? What do you think that trail will say? What do you think you will leave behind? Because our groups have some amazing and tough discussions. You kind of heard a little bit and got a little idea of it last week. But I know even last week, like we were kind of talking about it afterwards in Caitlin's interview with like, they weren't totally comfortable sharing all the things that they share about in group with all of you, which is totally understandable. But that's kind of the point, right? They're not, you're not gonna share it on a Sunday morning. You're not gonna be able to talk about it on a Sunday morning. This can only go so far until you get in relationship with one another. Because in relationship, there's trust and vulnerability. So what does the trail you leave behind say? Are you leaving people better than you found them? And if you're not sure, ask them. Ask them. And if not, we have to grow. And guess what? We all have a lot of room to grow, all of us. But we can ask ourselves, are we leaving people more restored 
than we found them? Are we leaving people more, um, with more life and life-giving life than when we found them? Are people stronger because of our presence in their life? When they needed help, could we help? Is our neighbor, our neighborhoods better because we lived there? These days, we hardly even get to know our neighbors. Are our neighbors better than when we got there? Remember the trail Jesus left behind. Whether you trust him and you've given your life to him or not, Jesus left a trail behind him of self-sacrifice for others, of truth and grace, and he left people's lives changed. They left stronger. They left forgiven. They left empowered by his spirit. They left transformed. And then he turned to all of his followers and said, now you go and do it too. And I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, that's when we all get to look back on the path behind us and say, that was good. That was good. That's when God gets to look at us and say, well done, faithful servant. In a great way, this is not the only way, but one of the great ways we know how to do that is through those small group relationships. Because that's the goal of small groups. Small groups' goal is to build relational and spiritual growth. Relational and spiritual growth. And you do that together. Okay, so at, um, on your seats when you came in today, and, and um, I think there's one, there's a bucket in the back of the table, there's a group card. And here are some of the options. There's, I think um, we're gonna be able to add one or two more options on our website, infuse.church slash groups, infuse.church slash groups. Um, but you can sign up. And if you don't have a good group that fits for you, just say, hey, I can't find a group that works for me, but here's my information. Here's the time and the date, and here's what I'm kind of looking for, and we can help and see if we can't put a group together for you. But groups is where that change is gonna happen, and we want that for you, and we want you to be able to see the change that your life can have on others in others' lives as you move through and blaze a trail. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray. Oh, actually, sorry, totally forgot. I want to do communion today. I knew this was here for a reason. And so hopefully when you came in today, you got um, some communion elements. And um, everyone here is welcome to take communion if um, uh, really it's a remembrance of following Jesus. And so uh, if you got some communion elements on your way in, and if you miss some, um, some wonderful people are coming around to give them to you. Um, but there's bread in the top, and then there's juice in the bottom, and you can kind of separate them um, one at a time, and we'll take them together. Um, but essentially what communion represents is, well, a lot of things. Um, but one of them is that relational part of God's love for us. And that's why I wanted to take it together today. Because as Paul said, this is really a time of remembrance. And it's a remembrance of a relationship that I realize you may not be in a place that you need this right now, but I know this is a place where I don't know if I could do it without this relationship. And that is the relationship of God, creator of the universe, giving his life for me. You know, that kind of relationship, that kind of loving relationship. And it has transformed my life. It has brought me to a place of being a pastor, not because it's the most financially savvy thing to do, but because it is the right thing to do. And so we take communion to remember. We take communion to remember God.
God's love for us. If you're watching online, you can participate as well. Just grab some bread or crackers or something in the house. Grab some water and you can participate because these are just symbols to remember. And they're to remember that on the night that Jesus died, he broke bread and he gave thanks for this bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you because I love you and I care deeply about you. And I want you to be transformed by the sacrifice that I'm about to make for you. Take this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is a symbol of a new covenant, a new agreement that you and I can have. Everybody can have this agreement with Jesus. And that is, I will shed my blood for you, for your forgiveness. And so you clearly know how deeply I love you. And when you take of this cup and you drink of this cup, remember that my life is given for you so that you may have life. Let this life flow into your body and become a part of you because you are loved by the most high. Take this in remembrance of me. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to know and trust the truth that you gave humankind at the very beginning that it is not good for us to be alone. In your in the creation story, there's Adam, and Adam in Hebrew is humankind. That's what it sounds, direct translation into English. And that you looked at humankind alone and said, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good to be alone. So Lord, help us to not be alone. Lord, help us to have you a part of our lives so that we know when it comes to our Heavenly Father, we are not alone, that we are loved, that we can trust you, that your truth works best in life, that how you taught us to live our lives works better. And in that, we can find peace and we can find freedom. Help us to trust you and have that relationship with you. And Lord, help us to know that you knew that wasn't gonna be enough. So you gave us some help. You gave us life. You gave us Eve, or in the terms of following Jesus, you gave us the church. You gave us the body of people that came together because of our relationship with you. And so Lord, help us to know that we are not alone. Help us to know that among the entire world, the best shot that we have of building relationships that are honest, that are trustworthy, may not always happen, but the best shot we have of it is with other people who know your love and follow your son, Jesus. And it is the body of Christ. So Lord, help us to make sure we do not put aside those relationships and that we are participating in the body of Christ together, not just on Sunday mornings. These are just rows, but in circles with one another so that we can pray with one another, we can hear with one another, we can debate with one another. 
We can share with one another. We can cry with one another. Because we need that one another. Help us to take that step and make that a priority. Help us to find and build relationships that we can leave behind that are incredible, that are transformed, that are renewed and redeemed. And that could be our legacy. And a great way to do that as small groups is not the only way. It can happen outside of the church as well. But help us to be the kinds of people who leave incredible people behind us. Those be, that those would be the breadcrumbs that we leave as a legacy of our lives. And in that, we are blazing a trail different than all the other world that we leave people better than we found them. Lord, help us to do that. Give us the strength and the wisdom and the people we need to do that. In your name I pray, amen.